Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 9th, 2011. Newcomers should look into my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for download for free. There's hundreds of them there and I try and give you at least a grounding in the big system in which you live to, to show you what runs it and to give you shortcuts to understanding the big picture because it's so incredibly not so much complicated, it's just that over a hundred years, over a hundred years, big corporations and big institutions grew up, which clubbed together to rule the world. And, of course, they had no intention of giving the public what they called democracy, but by, the, by using the term democracy, they pushed the public to actually push for more of being ruled by the same uh, multinational corporations, bankers, and so on. In other words, democracy is a sham because the bankers love socialism. They love to run countries through socialism because governments which they put in place can then uh, be, collect the cash that's due the big world moneylenders. And it's far easier than going door to door and collecting cash from individual people. That's why they love socialism so much. And they really admired the, the communist system in Russia, and they admired the one in Nazi Germany. That's why Hitler was Time Life Man of the Year twice in the 30s, because they liked this militarization, this, this orderly society where they're very obedient, they obey government, they, you can change society so quickly in any direction you want because people are trained to be obedient. So that's what you're living in today. And we also call it political correctness. And the main thrust of it is through the Marxist schools on behalf of the banks who run them today. So when you're in there and getting the audios, remember to uh, support me by buying the books and discs and so on that I have for sale at cuttingthroughmusics.com. And you can purchase them from the U.S. to Canada by using an, a personal check or an international postal money order. Or you can use send cash. Or, again, you can use PayPal. You'll see the donation button on the com site and just follow it up with an email with her name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union, you've got cash, you've got MoneyGram. You can use PayPal again to order. And remember, two donations are definitely accepted, the straightforward donations. It doesn't matter how much it is either, by the way. And uh, people don't think uh, a dollar goes very far, and it doesn't on its own, but if you've got enough coming in, it certainly gets you through the week. And things are escalating in price like you wouldn't believe. Now, a lot of this, all the sites I have carry transcripts in English as well for prints up of a lot of the talks. And if you want them in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and you can take your pick from the choice offered there. There's quite a few to choose from. And I, I mean that too. We are living in a documented, a documented world system. Uh, that runs covertly behind the scenes, doesn't advertise itself too much, of course, at the top. Uh, and, and yet today, because we're so dumbed down and pretty well stupid, actually, we are stupid and dumb, uh, they can actually put their own websites up there, like the Chatham House one for the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, which really 
are the big players on behalf of the bankers who founded them. International moneylenders, not just bankers with private banks and, and outlets throughout the towns. These guys literally lend to nations. That's who funded them. That's who set up the Royal Institute of International Affairs to bring in on behalf of an already established stinking, rotten, dirty, rich elite, um, a system which, where the people would never figure out because they still believed they had democracy. They never figured out they're being run behind the scenes. And we find that the big think tanks that work for them and the United Nations, which they also set up, by the way, um, have said that democracy is basically too slow to get anything done. They have to bypass it. We're now post-democratic, if you haven't noticed. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. And it's astonishing, really, how little history people know. And when they get history at all, it's generally from the History Channel or some fictional work like Anne of Green Gables, where the the past is always painted in a nice middle-class way for the few that existed back then. And you you see uh, them with horses and always clean clothes on and new clothes and so on. And it's all so daddy-daddy and mummy-mummy and everything was so wonderful and stuff like that. And nothing is further from the truth because history is a horror story. It's a horror story from its inception uh, to, to the present day. It's always about the most brutal elites who rule uh, either empires or now it's going into the world empire just as brutally too. And they've always used the same guises regardless of the empire that was used before. An empire really is just when an elite uh, arise uh, using money, wealth, slavery, uh, slavery always goes along with wealth in, in any kind of system, and even the modern kind of slavery you have today, uh, which is admitted to by people like Charles Galton Darwin, who says we're, we're creating a, a more perfect form of slavery. And that was in the 20th century, he wrote that book. So we're always in a form of slavery. And the idea is you only tell the slaves all they need to know to be a slave. And we are. We're given the right kind of education today, which is not very much at all and very misleading, more political correctness than anything. And uh, we're supposed to get the rest of it from Hollywood and and old movies and stuff like that. But it's, it's astonishing to realize that, as I say, uh, right through up until uh, the 1800s, slavery was, was prevalent and always prevalent. And it wasn't always simply from Africa. Uh, the first slaves in America were actually white slaves. And they were brought in when they changed a lot of laws in Britain because they wanted to populate America, and they had to pass a lot of laws. At the same time, too, they were dumping cotton from India and elsewhere and other countries on, in, the, in, in Britain, putting folk out of work. They, were, they had the country in upheaval by getting the farmers off the land, by dumping uh, seed from abroad and making it impossible to, to compete and getting them into the big cities. And there's massive migrations of people, millions of them moving into these slum cities that were thrown up uh, to work the factories. And so many crimes were broken because just like today, you don't know how many crimes you, you break every or, or laws you break every day, just walking across the street, getting up, getting outside the house and so on, saying the wrong thing now can get to be a crime. And uh, you'd be whisked off to to the Americas, and eventually they sometimes, they sometimes used Australia too. That's how they colonized Australia. So the more convicts, the merrier. 
and even Benjamin Franklin bought his first wife, who was an indentured servant uh, off a ship in the harbor. And um, and that was part of the payment. So he, the payment went back to even the judge who convicted her because he got a cut out of the final sale. They were sold, bought and sold. Uh, what a history we really truly have. It's, it's nothing like it's portrayed by the, the modernists at all. And as I say, you always get slavery, money, and a wealthy elite uh, who have time on their hands to hire uh, good thinkers like the Machiavelli types who can advise them on what to do next to keep power, always keep the public in the dark. And you'll find almost every person who's authorized to write history about the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire and other empires uh, write them in such lavish terms, such glowing lavish terms of bringing civilization to the world. And we have, an, even in the 20th century, we have the same thing with uh, the Cecil Rhodes Group uh, pushing uh, the push for British world empire, bringing civilization to savages and all that stuff has diluted their country of natural resources. Uh, nothing really has changed. But once you get a world empire on the go, you've got a whole world to pick your slaves from. And like any good farmer, you've got to decide how many you want to keep and how many you want to cull when there's too many of them and you don't need them anymore. And that's also been discussed at very high levels a long time ago, by the way, because these guys don't sit and wait for things to happen and say, oh dear, we didn't realize there were so many people. No, they always start at least 50 years to 100 years before you even hear of it in the media. And they actually implement policies to bring down the populations. And that's why you have so many cancers and so on today. At the top, they're not stupid. Believe you me, they're anything but stupid. They don't uh, make wish lists and uh, and say, how do we cull the population? Uh, you know, we've already had the Fabian socialists who were very overt in their their mission at the beginning with George Bernard Shaw and others coming out and saying we've got to get a humane gas to gas them. All the ones who are weak and firm, uh, can't work anymore, the elderly, that kind of stuff for his wonderful Fabian socialist system, which really is is the one of the spearheads of Marxism, is Fabian socialism. And it's all over the so-called British Empire. And remember, too, the, the Fabianists worked hand-in-glove with the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which was the culmination of the, the, the coming together of the Rhodes Foundation with Lord Rothschild and the Milner Group. Uh, and the, together they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a non-governmental organization who puts their members in government all over the world, by the way. Uh, and then there, there's there one that sprung up in the U.S. They couldn't call it Royal, so they called it the Council on Foreign Relations, and they both work as one for this world government as you see today. And as I said at the start of the show, they just love Marxism. They love it because it's... Uh, see, Marxism came out of a, a fanatical idea as, as, as um, really during the Industrial Revolution too. The whole idea of Marxism came out of a, a time of great upheaval, as I say, and great uh, inequalities and so on. And you always get the ones who are fanatics coming out of any system like that where there's turmoil. The fanatics come out and then they get their followers who are fanatics and then they push on ahead because most folk don't want individuality, you know. You don't want, they don't want to be an individual. Most people, and even individualism itself is a fairly recent phenomenon since about the 1700s. Authors were writing about the, the possibility of individualism. 
but uh, the big boys don't want that, and most folk don't want it. They, they like to lose themselves in the masses and be accepted by a peer group of one kind or another. And communism, of course, was another form of the same thing. You, you literally uh, suborn yourself to uh, and subject yourself to the authority of the master at the top, and all your, com- your comrades around about you are your friends, your family, they're everything to you. And it's like a religious fervor that's, that goes along. And that's what drives things. So big banks love this kind of system to use. And it's the same with the Nazi movement as well. They really admired the fast way society could be changed very rapidly by authority and high bureaucracies, layer upon layer of bureaucracies, working hard to change society and the way it was implemented at the bottom so quickly too and getting the whole public to be excited about it and go along with it. Quite quite fascinating when you see it. So once you get your individuality, there's always somebody right away trying to pull you into a crowd or a group or something else to join so you can submerge your individuality and lose it all again uh, because it feels safer when you're in amongst the same people. You have less responsibility, less choices to make for yourself. It's all done for you. Others take responsibility and so on. So, as I say, the big system today um, is so huge, it's got all the big international corporations coming together. I've always said if you want to see who runs the world, just look at the big IBM international meetings because everyone who's anyone attends it. And these are the guys who have and own the world's resources. They own all the means of production. They own your governments, literally. And often, in fact, your government leaders go in and out of these organizations as CEOs or directors and then back into politics again. So, But they love the illusion of democracy. And they even use democracy today uh, still to, to ravish more countries and standardize more countries under their control because that's what everything's about, standardization across the world, one system everywhere, you know, one Reich, basically. That's it. Never changes. And uh, unfortunately, folk get caught up in the dialectic process the media spins out to you because they always give you one side to join or the other side to oppose. But regardless, they want you to join back into a mass somewhere so that you can be led back uh, around into the pigsty. That's how it works. And a long time ago, too, uh, you'll find in the 1800s even, There were big writers belonging to these big institutions, these private organizations that run your governments, uh, that aren't answerable to the general public. As Carl Quigley said, he said, in fact, he said the technocrats who run across the world, you know, the Kissingers, Brzezinski's, and all of these characters, they're immune to the public. They're not responsible to the public or answerable to the public. They can get so much done uh, so quickly without public uh, criticism or obstacles of any way at all. So that's really what he meant by the world's run by a new feudalistic system. It's a feudal system. And as I say, in the late 1800s, he talked about the coming um, populations. And before World War I, uh, the royal family and prime ministers even were putting their names to books to tell the public in Britain, for instance, and elsewhere in the British Commonwealth to start having less children. And they, they were rebutted immediately by other books put out by mainly ministers and preachers 
to say that we'll do that when you do the same, because at that time these big families made sure that at least 10, 12 children at the top. And, and in reality, the people at the bottom were not having as many children as the ones at the top, because they couldn't afford it anyway. And then when they started to really uh, get along and get trained to have less children and to try and go for goods and material goods and bypass the needs for children, after all, if you're going to buy a car, um, you, could, you might not be able to afford another child because things get so expensive with children too. And that was all talked about in the next million years by Charles Galton Darwin, how to entice the women into the workplace too, which would double the tax base for government's real plans, the real agendas, and it would also help destroy the family unit because, as I say, they use the Marxist philosophy. And a prime tenet of Marxism is the destruction and abolition of the family unit. That's why you see all kinds of people up there. Again, the fanatical uh, ones who are um, dissatisfied uh, with the, the group. Uh, actually, they'd be dissatisfied with anything. And I'm talking about the ones who are of a different kind of uh, sexual persuasion. They always, they always pick the radicals to advance the radical causes and utterly abolish and demolish society. The Frankfurt School was big in this too, still is, by the way, ongoing under different names. And uh, the whole idea was to annihilate all that was, all culture, all ways of life, and build anew. That's what you're living in today. Back with more after this break. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. I, I saw a little clip yesterday of um, a BBC documentary about uh, slavery. And it was interesting. They'd found one of the old ledgers, and I think it was the Bristol docks perhaps, in Britain or England, where the uh, slaves came in. And they passed through London as well, through the London docks too. And they found that the biggest purchaser of the time was N.M. Rothschild. So, of course, that was immediately countered by the family. So they did no personal records of this. And, um, and that's, uh, look at all the great work they'd done for emancipation afterwards, you see. So, but anyway, they were the biggest importers for the Americas and via Britain of slavery. And, um, it's just astonishing that slavery's always been with us in one form or another. Now you're wage slaves, tax slaves, and, and so on. So it's just, and you get told what to do. And you're, you're, in old days, they used to throw you the occasional rag to wear, you see. And you'd wear that rag till it fell apart, and they'd give you another rag. And you had to be transported here or there, or driven here or there to workplaces by your slave masters with their whips and all that. And then you need all the guys to do the whipping, too. That costs cash as well. Far better to give you democracy and tell you that you're free and then leave you enough of your wages to feed and clothe yourself and, and get to work by yourself, you know, uh, one way or another. So really, it's all in how you perceive things, how things really are. And talking about 2D population, which is one of their big, big things, even from the days of um, Thomas Malthus, who was a big advisor to the British government and a, an economist, talked to European um, groups, the East, East India Company, the the Dutch East India Company and other ones, these are all big corporations that were given chunks of land across the world 
In fact, the first ones in Canada and in America really were corporations. They, were, they weren't countries, really. Were, these corporations were given ownership of the land, and you had the Hudson's Bay Company, which is, people knew what that meant, but didn't know what Canada meant back then. Uh, massive power, of course, private corporations. And now they're all international. Now, they talked about depopulation and so on. As I said, they didn't want too many of the inferior types outbreeding the superior types and bringing down the, the whole of society. Very much like Hinduism, as I say, because in Hinduism, they believe not in the Platonic great cycle of the zodiac uh, that lasts thousands of years, but in, in a zodiac that lasts millions of years in its cycles. And they say too in Hinduism uh, that those of an inferior type uh, must all perish if they come through, they'll cause disruption in the new, the new age. So that, that's a very prevalent belief amongst the, those who now run. And of course now it's all done under the guise of science. You know, science is very persuasive, especially when they're, they're trained in a different lexicon than you, and it sounds very impressive. But it's just the same old thing over and over again. Who should live and who should die? Who should own and who should be poor? Nothing really changes. Tonight I'm putting up a link to... Um, that I've put up in, in the past is about the, the vaccines. Well, the vaccines are one of the prime ways to kill off people, you see, in a slow kill, kill because they had meetings a long time ago about how they would take down countries quickly and ones that would go down uh, more slowly. And I've mentioned before about the Kissinger um, document that was put out where he basically said that the greatest threat to the state was overpopulation, but he meant at that time also overseas overpopulation that would then cause a problem migrating to the West. If you wonder why all the diseases are broken out. And then we send out uh, the World Health Organization, part of the United Nations, set up the bankers too, and to, to get them all inoculations, etc. Now, most vaccines were really put out by uh, the guy who headed a lot of these schemes was Dr. Maurice Hillman. We have uh, different ones, too, who created the polio vaccine, who was actually a member of the World Eugenics Society and the British Eugenics Society and the American Eugenics Society for Depopulation, who gave us the polio vaccine. But it, Dr. J- Maurice Hillman was also important. He says, for those who, who may think Dr. Hillman was just another crackpot, he passed away in 2005, think again. He was and still is the leading pioneer, uh, vaccine pioneer in the history of vaccines. He developed more than three dozen vaccines, more than any other scientist in history, and was the developer of Merck's vaccine program. He was a member of the U.S. National Academy of Science, the Institute of Medicine, the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, and the American Philosophical Society, and received a special Lifetime Achievement Award from the World, World Health Organization. So, so he was really doing the job of, I'm sure, of depopulation. Anyway, he was chief of the Department of Respiratory Disease with what's now the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. He discovered the genetic changes that occur when the influenza virus mutates, known as shift and drift. He was also one of the early vaccine pioneers to warn about the possibility that simian viruses, that's the monkey viruses that they were using, might contaminate vaccines. So Dr. Hillman knew uh, what he was talking about, and in his own words, it says vaccines have to be considered the bargain basement technology for the 20th century, and it's now into the 21st century. And viruses can cause the very disease they're meant to prevent, and worse. Uh, for years, researchers suggested that millions of vials of polio vaccine contaminated with the SV40, that's a simian virus 40 vac- uh, virus, 
infected individuals between 1953 and 1963 and caused human tumors. The only function this virus seems to have is to cause human tumors. And by 1999, molecular evidence of SV40 infections were showing up in children born after 1982. Some experts suggest the virus may have remained in the polio vaccine until as late as 1999. Still, the FDA and health authorities turned a blind eye. And then I'll go into some of the other stuff to do with this. You should know this because you'll see we're all dying of tumours and so on. And if you're not yet, you will be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix talking about depopulation under a different guise because that's what really a lot of the vaccines are for. You don't inject people for 50, 60 years with something that's bringing, giving them tumours and you, you don't notice it until 40-odd years later and even then you do nothing about it, you just continue with it. So they're not stupid at the top. They know what's going on because it's designed to go on. As I say, Dr. Salk was a member of the Eugenics Society and most of his papers before he came up with the vaccine for polio um, were actually about depopulation of the unfit and, and all that kind of stuff to the usual eugenical stuff, and suddenly became the great saviour. He did a massive change of heart, you see, and decided to save the world instead of kill it. So it's up to you which way you want to go with that. Personally, I know where I stand on it. But uh, they've also set off through the World Health Organization um, live strains of polio in some countries in, in Africa and elsewhere, because they were giving them the live strain in the oral strain, you see, is a, is a live virus created in the lab, though. They can tell it's a lab-created virus, and these strains have actually mutated uh, to, into a virulent type that they can't stop now, and they're spreading like wildfire. But again, that's all part of the Kissinger plan as well. So I'll put this link up tonight on this at the end of the show. It's not the show, again, educational talk. Remember, it's an educational talk. It's not show business. I don't have an agent like most of them do. And uh, uh, you can look them up for yourself. And there's a video on this too where you'll hear uh, this particular head, Dr. Hellman, talk about these uh, cancer viruses and that the fact that they already knew they were in them many, many years ago and that they were affecting humans as well. Tonight too, I'll put up um, a link to Mr. Chertoff, amazing. You understand that, you know, there are certain individuals who are raised in a different way. They're raised in a way of competitiveness, even within their own families and their own peoples, and they rise to the top with an incredible um, vitality, you might say, and an aggressiveness to, to get to the very, very top. And they use governments like a private company, and they really do blatantly use them like a private company. Michael Chertoff, of course, was one who was busy getting ready for this selling off of all these these um, X-ray machines in airports before anything happened. In fact, he was already negotiating and forming companies and stuff while he was in the U.S. government at the same time. So I'll put up a link to to this this exposure as well. If anybody really cares anymore, I often wonder how much folk care or are they simply overloaded on data. 
Uh, that's part of it. The other boys who run the whole system know that. We get overloaded with data, and you can't cry for the whole world all the time, can you? So I'll put it up regardless, and you can look at it for yourselves and try and sort them out in some sort of uh, organized method so you can always have certain ones on your computer here and certain ones there. So if you ever want to do anything down the road with them, you know where to find them and put them in an, into an order rather than just saving everything that comes past your, past your eyeballs. Now, I've talked too about this, the, the, the rising, the arrive, these, well, they really are rising of the, this upper middle class now who are the new bureaucrats who run the world on behalf of the corporations, uh, that own them basically. And the perks they get and, uh, I'm putting up a link too about the European politicians, these uh, new, the new Soviets, new Marxist politicians for the whole of Europe, this great non-democratic institution, and so telling everyone to to uh, be austere. I mentioned yesterday about the massive museum they're building to to acclaim themselves as masters of the universe, and um, here's here's another article about the money they're squandering on themselves and the, the perks they get as these grandiose European members of Parliament. Grasping Euro MPs squander millions of pounds of British taxpayers' money every year on cosmetic perks, including anti-aging therapy and facial hair removal. It emerged last night. This, this is at the same time as they've slashed the, the British National Health Service down to the... They're going through the bone. They're, they're not down to the bone. They're going through the bone now and into the marrow, believe you me. This is in yet another scandalous example of the European gravy train. Members of the European Parliament can also give, have IVF treatments. So if they're getting a bit aged or whatever, they can get the treatments too. They can stay at thermal health spas, have breast reductions, I guess for the guys too, and buy slimming products and Viagra pills. All are funded by the public as part of a controversial medical cover. This year's £3 million budget for Euro MPs. Medical expenses also covers alternative therapies like lymphatic drainage, which is a delicate massage that helps the body eliminate toxins and probably turns on their, their, their very pudgy bodies as well. The taxpayer funds at least two-thirds of the cost of all treatments, and many are 100% covered. Details of the appalling waste and personal vanity indicates the juggernaut of EU excess, and it shows no sign of slowing, and comes as Britons brace themselves for a year of soaring food and fuel bills, wage freezes, and cuts in council services. So, as I say, slavery is always with you in one form or another. It's all on how you perceive it. Well, just like Rome, too, had uh, masses of its population were actually slaves. Uh, the big boys were in their health spas, all, you know, admiring each other's bodies and stuff like that. So I'll put that up as well tonight. And huh, I've got to laugh at, again, the great Marxist idea. You understand, too, um, people who are very disaffected and who don't go along with any kind of natural system or even a natural culture become the greatest advocates of, of change. And they're always spearheading changing changes that the rest have to follow, the ones who are fairly content, you know. So you get the radicals, and that was already said by the Marxist writers. They'd always pick those with the big chips in their shoulders to spearhead the movements. So it says here, and I've mentioned this before from the United Nations, because the United Nations is behind this, really. 
to change, to utterly destroy all that was to bring in that which is new. And I mean utterly destroy it. The Frankfurt School said the same. In fact, um, we, we find Theo Adorno at the Frankfurt School who said uh, that they wouldn't be happy, he says the group wouldn't be happy until literally they created a necrophilia in society, a society of necrophiliacs, uh, literally. Uh, so nothing was disgusting anymore, or nothing was beyond baseness. In fact, there would be no basis in order to utterly destroy all that worked before, you see, to build a new society. Schools need to, need to teach about orgasms. I guess there's a shortage of uh, orgasms in schools. Must be due to austerity or something, says the NEA to the United Nations, which is like, it's like a sister talking to her twin, because the United Nations are just happy to hear this since they're pushing it in the first place. So this is a handout, you understand, right? New York, March the 3rd, graphic sex education for youth is the new battleground at the United Nations. Uh, they've got so much in their plates at the United Nations, eh? Handing out candy bars across the world and stuff like that and pocket money and making sure that we're all going to pay environmental taxes to them, you know, and stuff like that. As evidenced by side events during the past week at the Commission on the Status of Women. Here we go. I mean, can any woman actually say a group stands for her? If you do, you're not an individual. And you better check out what these groups actually are. The theme of this year's CSW is the access and participation of women and girls to education, training, science and technology. While delegates are busy negotiating resolutions and outcome documents, non-governmental organizations, again, here they go, ones paid by the big foundations, and UN organizations' campaigns for the installation of socially radical curriculums in Africa and America alike. Oral sex, masturbation and orgasms need to be taught in education, says Diane Schneider, and she told the audience at a panel on combating homophobia and transphobia. I guess that's when you're, you're changing from one phobia to the other. You're in between them, transphobia. Schneider represented the National Educational Association, the largest teachers' union in the U.S., and advocates for more inclusive sex education in U.S. schools with curricula based on liberal, hetero, and homosexual oppression. She claimed that the idea of sex education remains an oxymoron if it is abstinence-based or if students are still able to opt out. See, they want to contaminate everybody's mind, you understand? So they want to take out the opt-out of the classes uh, for everybody. They want everyone to get their their incredible obsession. Because they're obsessed with sex all the time, these, these particular characters. Obsessed from morning till night. So comprehensive sex education is the only way to combat heterosexism and gender conformity. Straight out of the Soviet system, isn't it? All the, all the terminology, all, all the Frankfurt terminology too, and they were the guys who came up with all the terminology. And, uh, she says, and, and we won't make these issues a part of every, uh, we must make these issues a part of every middle and high school student's agenda. Gender identity, expression and sexual orientation are a spectrum, she explained, and said that those who are opposed to homosexuality are stuck in a binary box that religion and family create. So family's bad, religion's bad, typical standard Marxism, you understand? They'd rather have you stuck into some other kind of box which might not be so clean. But anyway, I'll put this up tonight as well, and you can have a look at that for yourselves. But this is standard, standard Marxism. And folk can't recognize it as such anymore, because they're, they're, they're being dumbed down to, to stupidity. Folk can't recognize where these folk are coming from. They can't recognize the terms they're using. They don't uh, recognize them at all. And it's happening every day, and to their children, to make sure uh, that these ones at the top 
have uh, your children at odds with you. You have to look into how much comes from the, 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 the UNESCO, from the United Nations, because all of this does. It's a global society. Everyone must get the same conditioning. And we're just little machines, little animals that can be retrained into anything, according to them at the top, you see. All right? So I'll put that up for you too. And Australia, another thing too is going to say about the masses and, and the mob, when people can't handle individuality, and because you have to think for yourself and take chances. It's easier when you belong to a crowd. And when I, that, the reason they pick a lot of women to, for the advanced card is that if they don't want family, you see. Family was the mainstay for women. That's why women know all their relatives and, and their offspring's relatives and, and everybody's birthdays and so on, and it keeps them healthy and they live to a good old age. That was always taught in psychology up until politics changed all the findings. And when they find a calling, you see, for their frustration, if they, if they deny themselves anything else, you see, they become really radically involved for, for the, again, the Marxist change. And we have to always be more so than anybody else, and, and the men included. Labour MP, this is Australia, Labour MP Carolyn Sullivan calls for environmentally friendly burials and cremations. Again, all news is good news to politicians, you get a name in the paper, right? But I've read the articles before about the, 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 the chemical stuff that they want to use in America. I read that last year, where they could actually pour, said they could pour granny into the garden after she's been dissolved. Yeah, no kidding. But again, we're all dehumanized now too. They've worked very well, these Marxists, to dehumanize us down to just less than an animal. We like animals better actually, aren't we? We were taught that. Anyway, it says, um, uh, cardboard coffins are a growing trend. That's part of it too. And, and of course, they can, they can pop you in these tanks and liquefy you. An extraordinary statement today, um, Labour MLA Carolyn Sullivan said, almost all of the 27,000 people who died in Queensland, Australia in 2010 were laid to rest in conventional burials or cremations. Both practices involve the release of toxins and carcinogens with significant impacts on the environment. Uh, Mrs. Sullivan was speaking in her capacity as a chairwoman of the Queensland Parliament's Environment and Resources Committee. She called for an investigation to green burials that minimise pollution. Uh, she also get, get lobbyists too, mind you, from the big chemical companies pushing this. Too. It's going to be big, big business, you understand. I mean, burials are big business. You know. The guys who put you under really rise to the top. The funeral industry, like other services, producer, uh, producer and manufacturing industries, has a vital role to play in minimizing pollution. Burials and cremations are big business in Australia, and I've changed little in my lifetime. Our inquiry, inquiry will have a fresh look at the industry's practices and how they can be improved. And can you discover why cheaper, greener choices to conventional burials and cremations are not readily available? More environmentally friendly methods of burial include simple wooden uh, or biodegradable cardboard coffins, liquefying a corpse through chemical treatment or even freezing and shattering it into a fine powder using vibrations. Oh, she's really up in her technology, isn't she? So I, I guess once they put into a, fight, a fine powder, they'll have you uh, buying it from someone in the big cosmetic companies or some, oh, I don't know, anti-aging stuff or something like that. But anyway, there you go, and they must be radical, you see, to get their name in the paper. No one wants to hear, same old, same old, everybody's fairly happy, content, etc., you know. 
See, this is the century of change, understand, been taught in, in universities for 50 to 100 years in the last century, and we're in it now if you, for those who haven't quite figured it out. I also put up an article I put up before Miami Herald it's to do with uh, the past medical testing on humans. There's three articles, actually, and it's a bit misleading in one way. What they say is true, uh, but they, they, they really look at Guatemala, where syphilis was put into people 65 years ago. They were doing far worse things than that, putting plutonium into people in the U.S. proper, uh, up even less years ago than that, in fact, by the way, and many other tests, too, with viruses on the general population in San Francisco Harbor, for instance, with the the ships let loose particular specialized flus back in the 70s, I believe it was, to see what would happen. They're doing the same thing in Britain too. And these are things that are all documented. They've made videos and releases of them, often them now. But of course, under the Freedom of Information Act, you see, you still, they still won't release what's happened in the last 50 years until we're all dead, you understand. That's why they do it this way. This is still ongoing. And, of course, it, it, it's basically these articles come down to the fact that the inquiries show that these, these same kind of testing on humans um, is, is probably still going on. There's nothing to stop it, really. It can be done in secrecy, etc. And you'll even see one professor who was involved in studying the people that they were infecting and saying, we can't do it just like we did in the good old days when they just grabbed a bunch of blacks from wherever and, you know, and injected them or told them they had cancers and then put plutonium into them even when they didn't have a cancer, and then calmly observed the, the, the effects. It's just a disgusting, this science is merciless, believe you me, merciless, and it's backed again by the big boys who are controlling the world, because science is supposed to take the place of any deity. It is to be the deity, in fact. Of course, under their auspices. Back with more after this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix. And we've seen the kerfuffle in Wisconsin to do with the big boys fleeing the state around an answer to the people where they cut back all their, their pensions and all the rest of it uh, from, for, for the, the government-type workers. And we see the same thing happening in Kansas now. It says, Kansas House panel endorses cut in public pensions. And uh, it goes on to say, a Kansas House committee endorsed a bill Wednesday that would cut future retirement benefits for current teachers and government workers to help solve the long-term funding woes of their pension system. The measure was that uh, cleared the Pensions and Benefits Committee on a voice vote also would increase the state's annual contributions to the Kansas Public Employees Retirement System and increase the age at which many teachers and government workers could start drawing full retirement benefits. They're doing this across the world. Don't you realize you're under a world system or they're just copying each other? Oh, they've got a good idea. Let's do that immediately. It takes time to implement all this stuff and draft it up, especially with bureaucrats and marshals running your governments. It takes a lot of time and committees and meetings and stuff like that. And, uh, so it all happens at the same time. That means it's planned worldwide at the same time. The bill goes against a long-standing assumption that governed past debates over pension legislation that the state constitution and Kansas law prevent the state from altering its public pension plans by forcing lower benefits on current participants. 
The committee members said they're compelled to act because of the projected $7.7 billion gap between anticipated KPERS revenues and promised benefits over the next few decades. It's astonishing, though, eh? They can bankrupt the country and bail the banks out, which are private, remember. They're private banks. And mainly the stock uh, uh, guys, the guys who are into the stock market that, that were all gambling like in this big casino, we bailed them all out and saved the, saved the banks, you see, from going under. And then Britain, they, they immediately pulled, pulled up £900 billion or something like that too. Out of nowhere. They were utterly broke, apparently, and they pulled that out. And um, they couldn't afford a national health service, but they pulled £900 billion out to, to, to bolster the bankers and save them. And America did the same thing. Canada, all the countries joined in and, and got into this uh, frenzy of finding money uh, and borrowing money to save the bankers. And here's the expense of it, supposedly, is that now everyone's to start to suffer. For those who don't work for government, the rest of them are not government employees. The rest of us are all to go into just bare austerity. Austerity, that means that you won't have extra money to pay for this or that. You'll simply be being, paying for your food, your rent, or your mortgage until they outlaw private property altogether, as will come eventually. Uh, that means you've got another crash to come down the road, by the way. And... Um, and you'll, so once your, your food and your clothing and so on is done, uh, you'll have no money to spend on extras in this post-consumerist, post-democratic society. And the bankers just love it. Why is that? It's because, you see, they, they can up their prices too and make it so expensive. Uh, they'll still be selling to you and you will save and save and save to get that gizmo or that gadget. Uh, and so they will lose nothing out of it in the long run at all. And the big corporations, as I say, are not as independent of each other as you might have been taught to believe. They all work together. In fact, many of the CEOs simply go around revolving chairs from one big international corporation to the next. If they were separate competitive organizations, you couldn't, you'd have to assassinate the guy if he's going off with all your ideas for takeovers and so on for the next 50 years. Wouldn't you? But they don't mind, which means it's all a big con, isn't it? They all work together. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, is good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>